you're still listening to the doubts. You're still listening to the lies, right? You still have that voice of your father or whoever in your head that, that is telling you you're worthless. And your problem is you continue to listen to that voice. Is stop listening to that voice and start speaking to yourself. Speak truth over your life. So when you hear that voice say, man, I'm a mistake, you need to speak, no, no, I'm God's masterpiece. Like he knew me before I even existed. So check this out. The Bible describes um, two types of lions, right? The first is the lion of Judah. That's King Jesus sitting on the throne. The other is the lion that is looking uh, to devour. He's roaming, looking for people to devour. And that, that lion um, is Satan, but he's on a leash. So the first lion's on a throne. The second lion is on a leash. So sometimes I think we give Satan too much credit, right? The Bible says that Satan is crafty, not creative. There's a difference between those two things. When you look at, when you look at Genesis 3, uh, the devil has one trick, and he's only had one trick his entire life, and that's deception. The Bible says he's the father of lies. He's the, he's the great deceiver, right? He will take um, truth. He will take God's word. He will twist it. He will turn it, and he will do that to bring you down. He'll also, he'll also give you a hundred truths, just to trip you up with one lie. So don't forget that. Like nobody is patient like Satan is patient. Another thing to think about is, is if you look at like biblical characters, Satan has no problem waiting to the second half of your life to bring you down as a man. There's a lot of biblical characters that fell in the second half of their life. Satan will wait 50 years to bring you down. He'll wait 20 years to ruin your marriage right? And he does that through deception, through telling lies. And from the very beginning, Satan has been telling the same two lies to men. Told it on day one, here we are thousands of years later, he's telling the same lies. The first lie was, eat the fruit and you'll be like God. And the Hebrew there is interesting. It actually translates, you will be as Elohim. So you will be God. That's the first lie. Eat the fruit. You won't need God. You'll be God. And then the second lie was right after that. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, they were naked. They were ashamed. They hid from God. That's the second lie. You're so bad, God could never love you. So I want you to think about, I want you to think about those two lies. You are you are living life right now between those two lies. The first lie is you're so good you don't need God. The second lie is you're so bad God and no one else could ever love you. Every man I've ever met, myself included, lives somewhere between those two lies. I was in um, Hartford, Connecticut recently speaking uh, to about 700 men. And as I was finishing uh, the talk, I was just prompted, man, just to, just to ask the men in the room, how many men have never heard, um, I love you from their fathers, or they've never heard, I'm proud of you from someone they admired, right? And I thought out of 700 men, maybe, maybe 100 would stand up. 650 men stood up, nearly the entire room had never heard, 
I loved you or I'm proud of you. They never heard that. Man, think about what that does to your esteem. Think about that. Think about what that does to your value. Think about what that does to your position in life. You just feel unworthy. You feel unlovable. I was speaking at an event one time with Bob Goff. He's like this big-time author and writer. And, and after the event, um, he had another event the next day, so he was staying in this hotel, and he said, he said Chris, uh, could you give me a ride to the hotel? I'm like, Bob, sure, man, I got you. What Bob didn't do was tell me that hotel was two hours away. I see you, Bob. You got me. So I'm, I'm two hours in the car with Bob Goff, and I'm like, man, I, I probably shouldn't waste this time. So I said, Bob, man, you wrote that book, you know, um, Love Does, and, and so, you know, millions of copies. Like, 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 what was the inspiration for your book? Like, like, where does that come from? He looked at me. He said, Chris, I'm 60-plus I'm years old, and I've never heard my dad say, I love you. He said, so some years ago, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and I'm standing at the, at the summit, at the, at, at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, and I've got a sat phone, and I pull out the phone, and I call home. My mom answers the phone. I said, hey, let me talk to Dad. Dad gets on the phone, and I said, Dad, I'm standing at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, and it's the most beautiful, glorious thing I've ever seen, and I just want you to know, Dad, that I love you. He said, there's a pause on the other end of the phone, and he goes, that's nice, son. And he hands the phone back to my mom. So when I came off that mountain, uh, I wrote the book. I wanted people to know that they were lovely and lovable. I wonder how many men watching today, I wonder if you're watching, you've never heard that I love you. You've never heard... I'm proud of you. You never heard. This is my son who, who I'm well pleased. It's interesting. Um, even Jesus needed to hear that. The greatest man ever. Jesus at his baptism, he comes up out of the water, and the Bible says that, that, that there's a voice. The heavens open up. God speaks. And he says, man, this is my son whom I love and I'm pleased. That's not by accident that it's in that order, right? God starts with, this is my son, acknowledging that Jesus is his son and says, I love him, and then I'm pleased. Up until that point, Jesus had done nothing. He hadn't even started his ministry. He had done nothing of significance, yet God still loved him. God was still pleased with him. God didn't love him because he was pleased, no, God was pleased because he loved him. It's in that order. This is my son whom I love and I'm pleased. Some of you men need to hear this today. Man, God, God loves you because you're his son, not because of what you do, not because of what you're going to do. My, my, my 10-year-old son recently asked me for a new pair of shoes. Um, he's playing football. He's falling in love with football and he said, Dad, if you get me these shoes, these shoes will make me faster. I know it. And the problem is they're not going to make him faster because um, he's not very athletic. <laughs> but I looked at him and I said, Son, I don't know if these shoes are going to make you any faster. I'm going to buy you these shoes. 
but I don't know if they're going to make you any faster, but you need to know I love you just as fast as you are right now. I love you for who you are. Not for who you might be or who you one day will be, but I love you right now for who you are. And there's a man that needs to hear that today. So what happens is um, as you're growing up, if you don't hear things like I love you, if you don't hear things like I'm proud of you, which is, which is natural to the human psyche, like that's natural to uh, the growth of a human being. Like we need affirmation. We need encouragement. We need to know that we are valued. So like if, if, if you don't get that, what happens is you will start to look for that affirmation in other places, typically unhealthy places. So I'll give you an example in my own life. I didn't hear growing up, I didn't, I didn't hear a whole lot, um, I love you, from my dad. I didn't hear a whole lot that, that um, I'm proud of you. As a matter of fact, I don't think my dad told me he was proud of me until I turned 38 years old. And I remember on the phone when he said it, like, how it took me back. So what happened, you know, in high school and especially in college, um, I sought that affirmation. I sought that approval basically through two platforms, um, through sex and through education. I know it sounds weird, but, but, but I was good at those things. So, so I slept with a lot of women because that gave me uh, the approval I needed right? Uh, whether they found me attractive or they found me charismatic or, or whatever it was, um, um, I, would, I would seek approval through, through women, through unhealthy sexual relationships. And then I sought it through, through education. Education was something I was good at. It came natural to me. So I have more degrees than a thermometer, right? Like I even today, like I have to check my heart. I, I, was, I was finishing my doctorate uh, and somebody once asked me, you know, why are you doing that? Like, why are you getting a doctorate? And, and the reality was I was doing it because I wanted to be an expert in my craft. Yes. But the reality was I was doing it because um, I wanted people to think highly of me. Like even to this day, I'll go speak somewhere and I don't get introduced as Dr. Chris Harper. And just being honest, I feel some kind of way about that. Like I'm still that that 10-year-old boy that is looking for his father to say, man, I love you and I'm proud of you. And somehow being introduced on a stage at 41, Dr. Chris Harper is with us today, somehow I think that that scratches that itch. When in reality it doesn't, man, it's just unhealthy. Because I'm trying to find that affirmation, I'm trying to find that, that encouragement in things that ultimately fade away and don't matter. Like, what does it matter at the end of my life that I have a doctorate or a couple of master's degrees or went to an Ivy League school or whatever? Like, what does that matter? It certainly doesn't matter in God's economy. doesn't matter in God's kingdom. Yet because I, I missed out on the affirmation and encouragement growing up, like I sought it in unhealthy ways, you know, it certainly wasn't helpful that I was sleeping with multiple women. Not only was I wrecking my lives, I was wrecking the lives of others. So what happens is, as young men, if we don't have that affirmation, if we don't have that encouragement, typically we will look for it in unhealthy avenues, success, sex, intelligence, popularity, whatever, and we will run hard and we will, we will run over anything in our way to get to those things. 
So maybe you're a dad listening. If you're a dad listening today, it is super important that from the child, from the time your child is born to the time uh, you leave this earth, you remind your child that you love them for exactly who they are. You remind your child that you are proud of them no matter what. Encourage your children. And for some of you men who are listening that you grew up and you never heard that, man, hear me say that, that if nobody this side of heaven tells you that they love you, if nobody this side of heaven tells you that they're proud of you, man, God loves you. God loves you right now for who you are. And if you're not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to. He sent Jesus to, to pay the penalty for your rebellion, your rejection, all your sin and shortcoming, all of your missing the mark. That's what sin means. Sin simply means missing the mark of God's holy standard. You miss the mark. That lie that Satan told Adam and Eve, you're so bad, God can never love you. The reason why it was so effective is because it's half true. Like they are bad. The reality is they're actually much, much worse than they could ever imagine. The reality is you're much worse than you could ever imagine. I am much worse than I can ever imagine. But the truth is I am more loved than I could ever conceive. God loves me more than I could ever imagine. My sin is great, yes, but his love is greater. I am a great sinner, yes, but I, I serve an even greater Savior. So if you don't know King Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God wants you to. He wants you to turn from your sin, and he wants you to put your hope and trust in Jesus. And the Bible says he forgives our failures. He forgives our mistakes as far as the East is from the West. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a phenomenal book. It's a little book, every, not just every believer, but I think every man should read it. It's called Spiritual Depression. And in that book, he says that, that as men, as, as people... We need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start talking to ourselves. And let me get at what he means. We need to stop listening to ourselves, listening to the self-doubt, to the self-depreciation, right? Some of, you, some of you men, you grew up in a home where you weren't affirmed, you weren't encouraged, but now, now you have a spouse or you're at a church or you have friends that do affirm you, they do encourage you, but you can't get past, you can't get past your upbringing. You're still listening to the doubts. You're still listening to the lies, right? You still have that voice of your father or whoever um, in your head that, that is telling you you're worthless, that's telling you you're a mistake or you're a failure. And your problem is you continue to listen to that voice. So my encouragement is, is stop listening to that voice and start speaking to yourself. Speak truth over your life. So when you hear that voice say, say, man, I'm a mistake, you need to speak, no, no, I'm God's masterpiece. I'm God's good design. He knows the number of hairs on my head, like he knew me before I even existed. Um, I have a purpose, and he has a plan for me, and I am precious, and I am valuable. Like, speak those truths. When you hear the, the words of discouragement and doubt um, start to pour over you, um, um, speak truth over your life. Like, know God's truth. No, no, no. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. Be of good heart. Right? I love the, 
Um, uh, I clothe the flowers of the field. I feed the birds of the air. How much more will I do for those that I love? I am loved of God, and he's got me, and he will provide for me. I have value. I have purpose. So the, the only way, brothers, the only way to beat a lie, the only way to beat deception is to combat it with truth. We need to start weaponizing truth and then speaking that truth over our lives every time those lies try to creep in. And if you are in Jesus, like if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, listen, there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from that love, man. He loves you. Yes, you fail, man. I fail every day. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, I'm a new creation. Yes, Romans 6 and 7, I'm a new creation. But the old man of death is still there. Like the old man of death still wants to pull me into those old sin patterns and those old sinful habits. Every day I've got to wake up and I've got to drown the old man of death. The problem is he's a hell of a swimmer. I'm talking like gold medal Olympic Phelps level. So every day I've got to wake up and I've got to drown him, man. And sometimes I fail. Sometimes the old man gets the best of me. But that's okay. Why? Because his grace is sufficient, like his mercy is new every morning. So yeah, Satan is whispering in your ear, man, you're so bad. God can never use you. God can never love you. No wonder you're your father never told you he's proud of you. You know, No wonder your wife never encourages you. No wonder your boss never acknowledges you for that promotion. You're worthless. You're a loser. Like, like Satan is whispering that into your ear, and you're believing it. All the while, God is over here saying, no, 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 like you're my beloved. You're my son, and I love you. And I'm well pleased. I'm not concerned with what you're doing. I'm concerned with who you're becoming. Becoming more and more like Jesus. So I need you to take that truth. I need you to take that truth and you need to fight back against Satan's lie. When you hear Satan say you're worthless, you need to look him in the face and say, I know, but can you believe it? I'm loved. I'm loved more than I could ever imagine. But I don't, know, I don't know if that's the big lie we believe. Like, I think there are millions of men that wrestle with that. They wrestle with that worth, right? Largely because they didn't hear it from their fathers. I think that's a, I think that's a, big, a big problem in the church today. I was recently asked, I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I was asked, what do I see wrong with the church today? Specifically, um, what do I see tripping up young pastors? And I think that's it. I think a lot of young pastors, they preach and teach and lead in a way today to get the affirmation from their congregation that they didn't get from their dad growing up. And that causes a host of problems. So I think that's real. But I think, I think the bigger lie is that we're so good or we're so sufficient, we don't need God. I think that's where Satan is winning with men today. It's this kind of self-initiated approach to life, this invictus approach to life, right? I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. My head is beaten and bloodied, but it's unbowed, right? It's the Andrew Tate, Grant Cardone, 
Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Goggins' approach to life, that we just got to man up, we can do it, head down, keep grinding, stay diligent, persevere, toughen up, suppress the pain, suppress the weakness, rise above it, modern stoicism, Spartan life, you can't kill me, you can't defeat me, even when I get knocked down, I get back up. And what that does is it breeds this idea of self-dependence, this independence of a higher power of God, and we just go through life taking it by the proverbial horns and wrestling it to the ground. We're so good. We're so strong. We don't need God. Brothers, I cannot tell you how long I believed this in my life. Even as a pastor, pastoring large churches, being a church planner, there were six or seven years of my ministry that I operated outside of the power of God. Man, I was just charismatic enough. I was just enough. I was just good enough a communicator. I was just winsome enough that I could grow a church. I could actually usher people into the presence of God without God. It was 100% hypocrisy and blasphemy. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing the things that men dependent upon God do. And yet even in his goodness, even in his sovereignty, God still blessed the work. It's unbelievable. It wasn't until I came to that passage in the word that, that through my weakness, his power is made known. That it's like through my weakness that his power is manifest. When all I do is operate from life, from a strengths-based approach, I am robbing the cross of its power. No, it is in my weakness that his power is made known. It wasn't until I started embracing that I can do nothing apart from Christ. It wasn't until I started embracing that that I actually started to taste the true power of God, the true measure of his blessing, the fullness of the inheritance he has for me. I was over here content making mud pies in the slum while, while he had offered me a holiday at sea. And I was happy playing in the mud in the name of Jesus. How pathetic is that? No, listen, you are, you are not as strong as you think you are. You are not as smart as you think you are. You are not as handsome as you think you are. You are not as rich or successful as you think you are. As a matter of fact, everything you have is a good gift from God. And without him allowing it, without him granting it, without him giving it to you, you would have nothing. And what that is, what that lie does that we're so good we don't need God is it robs us of the very thing, all of us, especially especially here today in 2023, it robs us of the very thing all of us need, which is, which is humility. It's the, it's the awareness that, that, man, without God, I am, I am nothing. It's, us, it's that humility that drives us to our knees, and, and it's the humility that causes us to pray and cry out to God. It's the, it's the humility that, that shows us that we are utterly dependent upon him. And Satan is over here whispering, you don't need God. You can be God. Trust in your strength. 
Trust in your intelligence. Trust in yourself. And, and, and what that does is it drives a wedge further and further in between you and God. It drives a wedge further and further in between you and, and real life. All the while, God is saying, no, no, trust in me like I'm here for you. It's the difference between what I call um, a Lego life and, and, and priceless art, right? So, so Lego, you know, the little blocks that you build, like, like Lego sets. I've got two toddlers, man, so Legos are big in my house, bro. We build Legos all the time. Legos theme, like their, their, their phrase is you're only limited by your imagination, so what Lego teaches is that we can be God. We can build, we can deconstruct, we can reconstruct. Like we can be and live whatever life we want to live. Like this is the mantra of like the LGBTQ movement. Like this is the mantra of the transgender movement. Like be you, the authentic you, the real you, your God, be whatever you want to be. Build up, deconstruct. Life is a Lego kit, like you're only limited by your imagination. So just dream and be. Like that's one way to view life. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of men that view life that way. The other way to, to view life is the, is the idea that we're all a piece of priceless art. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 it says we're the handiwork or the workmanship or the craftsmanships of God, depending on your, on your translation. Well, no matter what your translation is, the original Greek, the Greek translation is that we are God's poema. And it's where we get our English word poem from. Literally, it says you are God's poem. You are God's masterpiece. Like God made you as his masterpiece. And this is what happened. The fall and sin, and all your failure in life, like it ruined that masterpiece. It marred that masterpiece. But the masterpiece is still there. So imagine finding a, a Rembrandt in your great-grandfather's attic. Right? You don't take that Rembrandt and then have someone make it into a new painting because then it becomes worthless. No, you take that Rembrandt and you find somebody that restores art and you have them restore it back to its original design because that way it's priceless. That's exactly what God wants to do in your life. You are a ruined piece of priceless art, and through his son, through the power of his spirit, he is restoring you back to its original design. He's not, he's not making a new piece of art. He's restoring you back to his masterpiece. That's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do in your life. Satan is saying, go make something new. And God is saying, no, I'm going to take you back to what you should have been. Through his son, through his spirit. By leaning on and depending upon him, he is making us what we should have been all along. His man, beautiful, strong, powerful. That's the truth. That's how you push back against Satan's lie. Listen, you're walking that line between you're so good you don't need God and you're so bad God can never love you. Let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is you're an utter wreck, miserable, sad, weak, a ruined piece of priceless art 
but through the power of God's Spirit, through the truth of His Son, through the fellowship of the believers, He is restoring you back to His original design, and you are going to be spectacular. And for that other little lie, man, you're so bad, God could never want you. You're so bad, no one could ever love you. Listen, hear me say this. You are actually worse than you think you are, but you are more loved than you can ever imagine. God sent his son to die for you. God gave up the most precious thing in his creation so that he could be reconciled to you. He loves you. He is saying, this is my son whom I love and I'm pleased. If the only thing you ever do worth anything in this world is put your faith and hope in King Jesus, then you've done all you ever need to do. Believe that today. God's proud of you. And at the end of the day, he's the only one that matters. <laughs>